ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. As we're going to be beginning a new sermon series today, that we're, we're going to follow the life of Jesus Christ chronologically. We're watching him and we're going to learn about Christ all the way through his life in order. And we started this in our last series, in our Simply Christmas series, when we were looking at his life chronologically or through the, through the Christmas story. And we're going to continue on today by learning about the qualities of Jesus throughout every aspect of his life. We're going to look at the man Jesus and learn the qualities that he has. And we're going to look at, at Jesus as God and, and learn these qualities that we need to recognize and that we need to emulate and that we need to teach. It's by studying Jesus that we can be more like Jesus, right? It was in the city of Antioch. It was a few years after the Christ was crucified that Luke records for us in the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that the followers of Jesus were first referred to by the word Christians. The word Christians wasn't a word that his followers gave themselves. They didn't call themselves Christians. They would have preferred to be called uh, like, like believers or disciples or brothers. It was actually a term that was given to the, the followers of Jesus by the powers that be. By society and it was like a derogatory term it wasn't something that was they were called Christians to put them on a on a high level it was kind of like oh those are the Christians but if you and I call ourselves Christians isn't it necessary for us to have a deep understanding of who our leader is if, if Christians is somebody who is a Christ follower and if we belong to the party of Christ then we really need to know who, who it is, who's our leader, right? We need to know whom we're following. It was in the 1990s, there was a youth minister in a church in Michigan, and she so really wanted to get her youth group to understand this phrase that she was trying to teach, and she worked on it, and eventually she got them to really wrap their heads around the concept of these letters, this acronym that ended up being placed on bracelets and bumper stickers. And, and we started to see all these different youth groups were using this and it, and it made its way into Christian popular society. And there were simply four letters, WWJD, right? Yeah, it simply stands for what would Jesus do? In this series, we're going to find out exactly what Jesus would do. In, in this series, we're going to learn some of the details that Christ exhibited in his life so that we know, hey, this is our leader. This is who we're following. These are qualities that maybe I didn't know about him, but these are qualities that I should be exhibiting towards others, right? If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be studying today from verses 39 through 52 in a message that I have titled, At My Father's House. We're actually picking up this story right after the Christmas story ended last week. Luke provides for us the only snapshot and look at the life of Jesus between the manger and his ministry. 
We have this snapshot in this story of Christ at 12 years old, and it does tell us we get to learn so much about Jesus from this one look at this teenage boy. In Luke chapter 2, the historian and physician, Luke, gives us, gives us this information about Jesus that no other gospel writer gives us. We don't find anywhere else, but we do find that we're going to learn not only about Jesus, but we're going to learn more about Mary and Joseph in this particular story. Theologians have argued for years whether verses 39 and 40 actually belong in the Christmas story or if they belong here on the other side of the Christmas story. We're going to use them as transition verses today so that we can see exactly where this transition happens between the time they go home from Bethlehem. We know from Bethlehem they went to Egypt and then they ended up back in Nazareth, right? We're going to see from there, where do we move forward? And, and we're going to see that there's this trip to, uh, to Jerusalem for Passover, which is in this, and that Mary and Joseph have gone home, they're in Nazareth, and now we're going to see how the life of Christ continues in his teenage years. Let's read with me, if you would, Luke. We're in chapter 2, verse number 39 says, when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all of the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There, the child grew up healthy and strong and was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. We're going to stop right there for just a, just a second. Luke tells us that Nazareth is the hometown. It's the town where Jesus grew up. This is going to be important later in the Gospels. And later in our sermon series, we're going to see where Nazareth comes into play. It's a town in Galilee, and, and at some point I'll bring in some maps, and we'll see exactly where that is. But Luke also tells us that he grew up healthy and strong, and that he was filled with wisdom. This word filled, it's, it's a very important word, and, and we see the same application is going to work in the word grew. I want you to watch this. These words are showing us a transformation from something that wasn't to now something that is. Okay, follow me here. To fill something means that you're putting something where something wasn't, right? Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll find notes on the left-hand side in your bulletin. Point number one, the fill in the blanks. Jesus aged and he grew up just like any other kid. He aged and he grew, just like any other kid. This, these words literally tell us that Christ was growing like any other young man. He would have grown physically, he would have grown mentally, he would have grown spiritually, and he would have grown in his revelation of who he was. It reminds us of his humanity, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind us that Jesus is human? If you remember when Jesus was born, he was a baby, right? Baby doesn't have all of the abilities of a grown man. He's 12 years old here. He has many more physical abilities than he did when he was a baby. From this specific wording, we know that there was a time in Jesus' life when he went through everything that we went through. 
Wow. We think about Jesus a, a, a lot, but we think about his adult years. And yeah, Jesus knows temptation, and we know that he's been tempted. But do we forget sometimes that you know, he was an 8-year-old too, and he was a 12-year-old too? And, and, and sometimes maybe those in our youth group might say, oh, it's so hard for Jesus to understand. Jesus won't understand this. It's, you know, he, he never had a pimple that ruined prom. You know, like, so I, 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 he never had his, like, my voice is changing and this seems so weird. Jesus was that age too, right? So he grew physically, he grew mentally. He was a child like all of us. He was a teenager just like all of us. So we have no record of him going to the prom at Nazareth High School. We, we, but we do know that he went through a lot that we would have gone through at that age. When we think about Jesus like that, does it make it a little easier to relate to Jesus as a man, as a kid, as a 12-year-old who actually grew and lived through the same kind of things that, that we do? He does understand. We hear that a lot. Oh, Jesus understands. And you say, ugh. You know, the kids would say, does he really understand? You know, my brother's picking on me. Yeah, Jesus understands. He was that age too, right? Then Luke says that he was filled with wisdom. This verb tells us where there was a time when he had less wisdom than he did at the moment that Luke is describing. To fill something up comes with the assumption that there is room in the something for whatever you're putting into it, right? So he's growing in wisdom. It's literally the action of putting something where something isn't to fill. I want you to understand that, that Jesus, the man, was not born. This is going to blow somebody's minds, I know. He was not born with the ability to go out and perform miracles. We didn't see a child raise people from the dead, right? We saw a, a physical baby, but one who grew. And now we're seeing in this story and in this content how he is growing in his understanding of who he is. Imagine if Jesus, the three-year-old, would have been healing cripples. That would have been disasters to his ministry, right? The time wasn't right. It wasn't right at all. I want, so he... Just like you and I grew up is how Jesus grew up. And he is in Nazareth under the guidance of his parents. And he's being filled with wisdom. And we're going to see this at the beginning of our story. And we're going to see that at the end of our story today. That he is being filled with wisdom. This is a bookend um, a piece, of, piece of content in our lesson today. That Luke is going to make sure that we know that Jesus is continuing to grow. It's this continual motion of growing and understanding. Deeper into the understanding of God's love for us throughout the life of Jesus, we're going to see that he continues to understand that. As a matter of fact, the home that Jesus was raised in was a home of people who fear God. We know this because of what Luke tells us in our next verses. Luke chapter 2, we're in verses 41 and 42. 
Read with me. Luke says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. I want to dive into this for a moment, but first we're going to fill in point number two in your notes. Devotion to faith was a part of the home life for Jesus. Devotion to faith was part of the home life. It's something that happened at their home on a regular basis. There was this rule in the Jewish land that every male, every male of age must go to Jerusalem and participate in three feasts, three different feasts. And one of those feasts was the feast of Passover. Scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were on their way to celebrate the Passover. This is a time, if you remember, Passover is a time where um, the, the people of Israel, when they would come together and they would celebrate what would be referred to as the Passover that we had seen in the Exodus story. And it's a time that, if you remember back in Exodus, God brought ten plagues. The, the Hebrews at the time was just another name for the Jews or the Israelites, just at a different time in the Bible. They were slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians. And God had told Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So God says, okay, I'm going to start bringing these plagues on you. The very last plague brought death, it brought destruction. And while the Israelites or the Hebrews were living amongst the, the people of Egypt, Moses gave an instruction to all of the Hebrews, all of the Jewish people, to go into their homes that night because it's going to be a dangerous night. Read with me. It'll be up here on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Just read the screen. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. God says, and on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. The, the, the Egyptians or the, the Israelites were to, to, to put blood on their doorpost and the spirit of death would pass over their home so that their children would be safe. The Egyptian children, the firstborn, would not. So this is a celebration. That, that event, when, when that tenth plague came, led to the people, God's people, leaving Egypt. So it's a celebration. It is a remembrance <laughs> feast. Almost immediately after, after God's people left Egypt, God gave them the command, I want you to celebrate this every year. I want you to remember what I just did that I passed over your homes. And I want you to, like forever, you're going to celebrate this and you're going to remember this. This event of Passover is that remembrance. We're thousands of years past that and every year this has been celebrated. This is a custom in the faith of the Jewish people who are in and around Jerusalem at the time. Luke says that when Jesus was 12 years old, that he and his family attended the festival as usual to take part of the festivities in Passover. And that would have meant the, the annual event 
was a regular occurrence for Mary and Joseph to go to. When Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived in this town called Nazareth, they needed to walk to Jerusalem to take part in the Passover. By foot, walking, it's about 120 miles. And this is going to take you about five days to walk. Now, if you get an Uber or a Lyft, not quite as long, but it's gonna cost you a little bit more, and that's if you have service. Not very good cell service in Nazareth in those days. Five days that they have to walk, 125 miles, 120 miles. In fact, there were so many people that were going to Jerusalem for the Passover at that time that what would happen is the people would travel in caravans. Just big groups of people would walk together to get there at the same time. And Mary and Joseph would have been part of this caravan. I want, I want you to think back with me. Remember a time, remember maybe a holiday at grandma's house? Maybe you've come together for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And I, I'm just going gonna, gonna to paint a scene and you tell me if this is familiar at all. Maybe you get to grandma's house and there's people you haven't seen all year, maybe since last year. And all the, the women, maybe they're in the kitchen and maybe they're doing stuff and, and they're, they're in here just talking and gossiping. And then the guys, maybe they're out on the back porch throwing darts and they're talking. And, and then the kids are out in the backyard in the mud and they're getting dirty. And the cousins are playing with each other because cousins haven't seen each other all year, right? So somebody rings the dinner bell and this is what happens. People come in and the adults sit around a table and moms make plates for the kids. Where do the kids sit? Kids table, right? On the floor. But who remembers sitting at the kids table? Yeah? You remember that time when you're almost too big for the kids table but you're still too young for the adults table? Like you want to sit over there, but like they're talking about boring stuff, right? You're like, so you're kind of in this in-between time, right? This is about the time where, where Jesus is right now. But this, but this kind of segregation at the table, this is how the caravan would be formed. Sometimes you'd have the men who would be walking in an area, women maybe congregated and walked together. But the kids, the, the, the kids were in an area walking together in this caravan. Maybe you had the dads up front and the moms in the back and the kids in the middle, but, but kids and cousins, they could all walk together. And this setting now is, is the setting that we're going to use going into the next group of events that happened that Luke is telling us. So I want you to think about this caravan of people. Let's just picture a thousand people and you've got dads here, you've got moms, you've got kids. Okay, read back with me and we're in verse, verse number 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. Okay, so that gives us, that tells us, hey, these families aren't walking together, but, but that's okay, right? Because he's probably back in the kids section. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Other translations will say that Mary and Joseph walked in the caravan about a day, which would have been about 25 to 30 miles out of town. What will happen is the caravan will start walking together, sun will go down, and they'll stop. 
All the dads will go find the moms, the moms will find the kids, the families will come together to sleep for the night, and then we'll go the next day. So Mary finds Joseph, and they're looking around for Jesus. He's not with the kids. He's not with the moms. He's not with the dads. This kind of reminds us, and I want you to think back to one of those scariest moments in your life as a parent. Do you remember the first time that you thought your child was lost and you didn't know where they were? You remember that time? Maybe it was it. Maybe it was at Walmart. Maybe it was at, uh, maybe you thought they were outside playing at a neighbor's house and, and you were looking and they weren't there. And now you get this feeling in, in, and it just wreaks havoc all over your body because you don't know where your child is. And everything that, everything that you thought of in that moment is the same thing that Mary felt in that moment. She can't find her son. <laughs> See, Mary and Joseph didn't miss Jesus at first because they thought he was back in the kids section with the other kids. And they've walked all day long and now they can't find Jesus. So Mary and Joseph have to do something. Now they have to leave the safety of the caravan and they have to go back and look for Jesus. I want to make something perfectly clear. Mary and Joseph didn't know that they wouldn't find Jesus on the side of the road on the way back. They didn't know that he didn't get lost. Did somebody take our son? Did somebody kidnap our son? Did he get lost in the big city? Did he fall behind and he couldn't catch up with the group? Where is Jesus? Everything that's frantic about a parent when a parent doesn't know where their child is and you felt that feeling, that's exactly what Mary and Joseph are feeling right now. That's not a good feeling, right? That's not a good feeling. Let's pick up the action in verse number 45. When they couldn't find them, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to, church, to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. There is so much in these three verses. Luke says Mary and Joseph went back to Jerusalem, and three days later they find Jesus. Luke says they finally found Jesus at the temple. I'm sure it's safe to say that the temple is probably not the first place that Mary and Joseph looked. Now, if you're the mother of a 12-year-old who may have been left in this big city by himself, and you go back to the big city to look for your child, where are some places that you might look for? Maybe at the swimming pool? Maybe a 12-year-old likes a swimming pool? Maybe at the mall? Maybe at the market? Maybe at the arcade? How many of us would have church? at the top of our list. Oh, I bet, I bet my son just stayed at church that whole time, right? It's 12. I think it's evident Mary and Joseph didn't put church at the first of their, their list. It might not have taken as long if they would have gone there first, right? 
Basically what it's saying, they spent the, it says three days. They spent the first day walking back to Jerusalem, spent a day looking for him, found him on the third day, found him there. And he's listening intently to leaders in the church. And he's asking follow-up questions as if he is somewhere, it's as if he's somewhere that he's really interested in being. He's just talking to these leaders back and forth, having a conversation. You know why? It's because Jesus is learning. What did we talk about earlier? He's being filled with wisdom, right? He's learning, he's teaching, he's, he's talking, he's having conversations with them. Remember, we said that he's growing physically and mentally and spiritually, and this is showing growth. This is showing that he is at 12 years old, really interested in sitting down and talking to the leaders, talking to the priests. And Luke tells us that all who heard him were amazed by his understanding and his answers. We're gonna dive into some Greek for a minute, the Greek verb of amaze that's used here. It's actually the same verb structure of the way that people would have reacted to his miracles. People were amazed when he would heal a, a, a leper. They were amazed when, when, he would, when he brought Lazarus back to life. That amazement, it's the same structure of the people here that are hearing him talk back and forth. It's not like, wow, that's amazing. No, this is a deep amazement they're seeing something and this 12 year old boy that they haven't seen out of 12 year old boys this is a deeper sense of awe and amazement at 12 years old with this conversation with the religious leaders the the reaction to jesus was the beginning of the reactions that we're going to see throughout his ministry this is the first recorded reaction of amazement at the Messiah point number three in your notes Jesus at 12 years old was showing signs of his divinity at 12 years old he's showing signs of his divinity the, the word divinity it refers to being divine it's the divinity of Jesus the divine nature of Jesus as being God it's it's the aspect of Christ of Jesus that is heavenly and he's showing these signs now Jewish leaders are amazed by the answers of this child as if it's the same level of amazement as if he was bringing somebody out of the grave they're amazed at this would have been the first time in Jesus's young life that he's ever able to sit down and have a conversation with the spiritual leaders of the land. And it's probably the first time that the spiritual leaders of the land have sat down with a 12 year old boy who seems to know this much about the scriptures. No doubt that the priests would have been scratching their heads that this amazing child and they probably didn't really know what to think. There's somebody else who didn't know what to think. Jesus' mother. She'd been looking for him for three days and now she finds him at church? 
Let's pick this up in verse number 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Joseph might have said something like this. You had your mother and I worried, what? Sick to death, okay? We've been searching for you for three days and we were afraid that you've been taken by bandits or maybe you're going to give your father a heart attack, right? And then Jesus responds to his parents, who probably have hugged him ever since they've seen him. Mary's probably, okay, counting his fingers and toes, making sure he's got 10 fingers, 10 toes, looking around the temple, seeing if any of these guys look like maybe they took her son. She's going to hold his hand until they get home to Nazareth. He is not leaving her sight for another six days. And then... Jesus says in verse 49, but why did you need to search? He asked, did you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. So Jesus asked them two questions, and these are rhetorical questions. These are questions that assume that you know the answer already. First he asked, why did you need to search? Jesus is, he's leaning towards the answer, this unspoken assumption that Mary and Joseph should have known where he was going to be and they wouldn't have had to look for them. And then the second question, Jesus says, didn't you know that I must be at my father's house? See, that comes with the assumption. Didn't you know that, right? So although the Bible doesn't necessarily give us the words that Mary used to answer the questions to her son, she may have answered the question something like this. Not biblical, but I can hear this. When Jesus says, but why did you have to search? See, I can see Mary and Joseph saying, because I'm your parent and I don't know where you are and I need to find you, I need to protect you, right? That's why I needed to search because you weren't in the caravan. That's where I thought you were. And then Jesus asked, and didn't you know that I must be at my father's house? I think Mary's answer could have been, again, I don't know this, but she could have been like a really, if she's a really sarcastic mom. So I can really hear her saying this. Jesus says, and didn't you know that I must be at my father's house? Can you just see Mary saying, um, no, I didn't know that you would be at the temple. That's why I went looking for you out in the stables and at the marketplace and down at the bakery that makes those little cupcakes that you like. And I got myself some of those. And while I was looking for you, we went down to the arcade and you weren't there. And we walked all the aisles at the Jerusalem Walmart and we couldn't find you. And then we went to the swimming pool and asked all of the kids if they had seen a 12-year-old boy about this high with the blonde hair and nobody had seen you. No, son of God, no, I didn't didn't know where you were thank you for just hiding out at your father's house didn't know that yeah I didn't know I don't know that Mary had that kind of an attitude I doubt that she did but you could just you could just see her saying 
No, I didn't know where you were or else I would have come here first, but I've spent time looking for you. Once this little escapade about where he was was resolved, Mary and Joseph gathered their son and their belongings and now they're going to walk 125 miles back to Nazareth. Let's pick up the action. We're in verse number 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them, and his mother stored all of these things in her heart. Wow, we've seen that before too, huh? We saw after the shepherds came and told the story of the angels out in the field that were singing to them that Mary stored all of these things in her heart. See, nowhere in this story does it say that Jesus was disobedient to his parents. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that tells us that Jesus never sinned. This story isn't showing us sin of Jesus, it's not. It's showing us an episode that is is giving us a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. But Jesus also revealing, starting to reveal his messiahship to those around him. He's in a way being revealed to those in Jerusalem. The author says in verse 51 that when Jesus returns home with his parents, that he is obedient to them. It, is, it was certainly this, this trip to Jerusalem and the conversations that took place there with the religious leaders that would lead Jesus to become more aware of who he is. This is probably the first time that he's told his mom, don't, don't you know I have to be in my father's house? It's also solidifying his his faith and how much he needs his heavenly father. But also, he's continuing to draw this deeper bond to his earthly father. Point number four in your notes, Jesus saw God in heaven as his father, but he did obey Joseph, his earthly father. It's evident that Jesus is recon- he recognizes God as his heavenly father, but it's also evident that he absolutely recognizes Joseph as his earthly father. And there's a lesson here that shows us that even those, and probably some in our congregation today who struggle with relationships with our earthly father, would it be fair to say that either we are or we know somebody who struggles with a relationship with an earthly father, right? It shows that God still has put those people, those men in our lives for a reason. Joseph was put in this position for a reason. Jesus understood the position that Joseph had and Jesus learned so much from his earthly father while being obedient to both his earthly father and his heavenly father. See, when our heavenly father chose Joseph, he knew that Joseph was going to be a man of integrity and a man of faith who would bring the scriptures into his home, who would help Jesus grow physically, mentally, spiritually, and in recognition of who he is. For Joseph to make this trip with his wife to Jerusalem every year for Passover, that was only a rule for men. Women didn't have to go, but she went. And Joseph could have said, 
it's raining and I don't want to walk five days in the rain. You know what? I'm going to sit this one out and I'll catch it next year. (laughs) But he didn't. He went. Because faith was a deep part of the home life of Jesus. And that was necessary for Jesus to grow in his understanding, to grow in his spirituality. Luke 2.52, the final point in your notes coming up in a minute, but 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all people. This is when he gets home. Okay? He went home. Remember I said we're going to bookend this story today with the fact that he's growing in wisdom at the beginning. He's growing in wisdom at the end. The final point in your notes, Jesus continued to mature in wisdom throughout his devotion to God's word. He continued to mature in wisdom through his devotion to God's word. Yes, he's Jewish, and yes, that's what they read, and yes, that's what they paid attention to, and yes, the rituals are those that that were part of his home life, but it was so important that they were part of his home life because that's what helped him grow and learn. He had parents who cared about his upbringing. He had parents who cared about the fact that he was devoted to God in his life. So we're starting a series called It's All About Jesus. And I don't want you to look at today's message and say, how can I be more like Jesus? I actually want you to look at this message and say, how can I be more like Mary and Joseph? How are we bringing the word of God to the children in our home? This was an annual event. If going to church was a weekly event, they would have been there every week. And you know why? God put these two together with Jesus in this part in his life. He needed to be at church. Would it be fair to say that our kids need to be at church and need to learn more about God? Yeah. This is a lesson for us, for adults and parents in here today about the devotion that Mary and Joseph had to faith and the devotion that they had to bring their children up in faith. That's a lesson that I hope we can take home today. We can see in this story the humanity of Jesus We can see in this story that at 12 years old, he started to show aspects of his divinity to spiritual leaders. We can show that in this story that he stayed at the church in his father's house and he was sinless even at this point, that he's not sinning at all. And and we can see that he lived a life that he went through things that we went through. But I want you to be able to see the value of a home devoted to God and how much that brings to children. Our children need Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Our children need Jesus. As parents, God's put us here for a reason. God's put us here for a reason. 
to bring the word to the children in our household and the children we have influence over. I pray, I pray that that becomes this week, that that becomes an aspect of our lives that we think of and that we remember and something that we can look forward to instituting new procedures maybe in our home, maybe, maybe new arenas that can bring our kids more in contact with Jesus.